Welcome to Mixed Company. Bringing the siloed and uncomfortable conversation we have with our friends to the forefront so everyone can participate in the conversation. We say all the things you never would in Mixed Company. Welcome to Mixed Company. All right, all right, all right. We have made it to December 2019 on the Mixed Company podcast, and that means nothing else but the fact that it's time for our annual house party episode which is basically our end of year recap. So, unfortunately, which kind of sucks, so it's not a real house party, it's kind of like mom and dad are gone, so I'm <laughs> hosting the house party. Um, so it's just Kai today, shout out to Simeon, shout out to Karina. Uh, they will be back and you will be hearing from them before the end of the year. But I've got some cool people in here as I guess like fake stand-ins, like you guys are our fake mixed company hosts today. I've got some of the coolest people on the advertising planet, probably the two people that understand everything we're about to talk about better than your average CMO. I've got Bennett Bennett here. And Mara, Mara I never say your last name. Is it Lecoq? Lecoq. Like a... Like a cock. Like a, like, like a cock. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, without was a, a weird thing. I was, like, I was like, I'm not French, so when I say it, I was like, it probably sounds derogatory. <laughs> no, but no, like, no, it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> Let me make sure I ask before you start fucking up people's names. But thank you guys so much for joining me today. Welcome to Mixed Company. Thank you. Thank, thank you for having feels, us. Yeah, feels good to be in good Mixed Company. Is yes. It? You're welcome. Yeah, this is so fun. I, I look so forward to it because usually I'm like... I'm meeting this person I don't know, and I have to get my shit together, and I just feel more chill here. Well, it's funny that you said good mixed company, so that I, I imagine that you mean me. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, it's nice to know that somebody like actually wants to be in my presence. So thank we'll you guys. We'll let mom and dad know. Don't, just, don't tell mom and dad. It's fine. Anyway, so um, usually, guys, this is how the show goes. We start off, and we talk about dope shit or ain't shit. But there's actually no reason to do that, because the whole year is nothing but a cesspool of ain't shit and dope shit. So basically we're gonna start off and we're gonna go through quite um, a few topics of things that have happened throughout the year. And we're gonna give our perspective. Some of it you'll agree with, most of it you probably won't, but it never matters, right? (laughs) So let's jump into it, because this year year was a really, really interesting year in marketing and culture and advertising and all things. Um, And the first thing that started to come out was actually more of an ongoing discussion from the end of 2018. And that is what's going on in y'all's White House. Um, And so we know that there was a lot of fuckery happening on Facebook where, you know, folks was out here buying fake bots and creating fake ads and presenting fake news stories and Facebook was putting it out there or accepting it to be out there. Let me not say that they were putting it out there, but they were not creating a barrier for it to stop. So there became a data integrity issue, or as it's, uh, it's discussed in the world, is like a fake news issue and how that related to the ads being um, transferred and bought and all that other shit on the platform. So knowing, recognizing we're going into the 2020 cycle, I feel like there's just so much for us to learn. And one of the things that I picked up on, shout out to BuzzFeed. I, I feel like I don't, I don't value BuzzFeed as much as I used to and I, I should. But, you know, BuzzFeed always breaks it down for you. Like, what are the top 10 things I need to know in a bulleted list so I can have an educated conversation? And one of the things, that. in one of the BuzzFeed articles that I pulled up, it's, you know, they gave a here's everything the Mueller report says about how the Russian trolls use social media to affect the elect- 2016 election. And I'll give you a couple. They were here for the long game, y'all. They started, they started creating accounts in 2014. We weren't actually thinking about the 2016 election in 2014. Shame on us. But basically, they started out by creating social media accounts and social media group pages, and they were literally designed to attract U.S. audiences. Other thing they did, the IRA, as they're calling them, they were on every platform. Like... The amazing piece about this is that we have full teams within all of our agencies and all of our pla- and all of our um, all of our partners, etc., that are de- that are dedicated to social media, and we can't even figure out how to solve one issue about how to sell things. And they were able to use every platform to, depending on what side of the aisle you are, tremendously impact an entire election for an entire secure uh, government. I felt like that's crazy. Like, we can't figure out what to do with Snapchat, but these folks are out here creating full, like, 
political campaigns. They should give a TED Talk. They should give a TED Talk. I, I, I do think it's a funny way to show the, the client-agency relationship in a nutshell. <laughs> when they're aligned, you know, some great things can happen. You oh, know. there's something there. Mm. This is a dissertation. Tell me more. Oh, goodness. This uh, is a whole dissertation. Somebody needs to study this at NYU. No, I mean, you can even... Like the best brands, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, best, the best brands out there, and you've seen it this year with clearly Popeyes is a great example, and we'll probably touch on it later. Uh, my favorite example over the past, all of 2019, has been Fenty Beauty. Mm. And I don't know who their team is, uh, who's running stuff, but from getting, you know, um, New York, you know, Tiffany Pollard on stuff, getting uh, people who created memes for, for a living you know, into into the conversation. I don't know if anybody's seen that really funny uh, uh, part of my French, but super biatch. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Th- there's a guy running around in high heels uh, earlier this year, like a Power Ranger. I did, and, the, and, and the pink boots that I've been trying yeah, to Yeah, and, and the pink boots. And Myself. <laughs> yeah, and, and Fenty brought, brought that guy on. And, you know, it, it's crazy to see, you know, big names, small names, you know, they kind of have their hand on the pulse, and I think they're they're definitely people to watch. You know, not just for kicking out Victoria's Secret from mainstream fashion, but uh, for everybody in uh in these next few years. But I mean, you think about how it can be used to great effect in marketing. But like, you know, when you have a little segment of a huge communist country, they're aligned. Not only are they, because, like, I think, so here's the thing, right? I actually, God, I hope we don't get, like, a whole bunch of blowback for this, but I do think there's a lot of similarity between the Popeye's chicken sandwich, uh, the the IRA and their social media positioning platform, <laughs> and Fenty Beauty. And I feel like it's on both sides of, you know, who's starting the conversation and, like, really paying attention to, even even if it is fake, paying attention to who you want your consumers to be, right? So on the, on the Russian side, like one would say in 2014, the sentiment that um, politically people, no, fuck it, this is mixed company. The sentiment that we don't want a Barack Obama in, in, in the White House was a, was a minority, was a pretty hefty minority that most people many people would publicly say that they felt we lived in a progressive society, in a progressive uh, United States. And all of a sudden, the Russians were like, but we have this whole segment of people over here that can help us us align to get rid of Hillary Clinton, because that's who they were really targeting. The whole thing was to, we just don't want her to win. We actually really don't care what happens, we just really don't want her to win, okay? So they found their consumers, and they were able to amplify their voice, and therefore they were able to get a specific result that they wanted. Fenty Beauty, another minority. Most women of color, whether you're, you have very fair, fair skin or very dark, dark, dark skin, is extremely difficult. Like, not even for my skin tone, because I feel like I oftentimes align somewhere in the middle. It's very difficult for women who are on, quote unquote, the extremes of beauty to find not just um, cosmetics that work well with your skin tone, but also a brand that speaks to who you are as a person, that's literally speaking like you. Like the IRA was speaking like their constituents. And Rihanna's out here speaking the Kai Devro Lawson language, you know? So it was, it's easy to get behind that kind of marketing or that kind of uh, resonance. And then Popeye's chicken sandwich, that's just for a, chick, a good, good old chicken sandwich lover. And I know I have a coworker in here saying that he doesn't eat chicken with a bone in it. But for those of us, that that is really, and it's not just black people, let's just say that everyone, for the most part, likes a fried piece of chicken. Filipinos it, love them. So. Okay, that's what I was like. It's not, it's, it's, it's. New York Times talked about it this year. It's a real We're thing. We're on the, fried chicken's on the map. It's great. It's like if you're just able to align speak to the values, speak in a tone that resonates. You can literally culture shift. Now everybody, now we're fighting fake news, wearing really dope makeup and eating chicken sandwiches. Welcome to 2019. 
<laughs> I summarized the year in, in, in 30 seconds. It's a great way to go out. <laughs> it's literally what happened. It's literally what happened. Another thing that came up this year, which was, um, I, th- I found this part to be really interesting. We focused on masculinity in a very different way in 2019, where I feel like with the rise, not the rise, I guess with the growth and development of Gen Z, um, there's a lot more fluidity in how we describe genders and how we even speak to gender as it's not necessarily a, you know, there's not necessarily, you can identify more than just two ways now. And being feminine and how we describe it is not the way we described it maybe 10, 15 years ago. And also being masculine and what it means to be a man has, uh, the conversation has shifted around that. And I think we probably saw one of the more um, extreme reactions to that with the release of Gillette's um, uh, We Believe ad, challenging how we raise young men, how we raise boys to being young men. Um, and then another thing that I pulled out was like, you know, Pharrell was on the cover. Pharrell, who is a supreme, not just pop culture icon, but specific to like hip hop. He's a hip hop icon um, as a producer, um, as a producer, was wearing a dress on the cover of GQ magazine. So it's like everything that we knew to be true back in 2014 has changed <laughs> once we got to 2019. What are your thoughts on that, Bennett? Um, it's really, it's, I guess to keep it short on the Gillette thing, I hated it. Um, uh, I think, and I said it back when the ad first came out, I think, you know, when you are a brand in an era where social values matter to consumers, you either continue doing what you're doing as a brand and act like it doesn't exist, or you have an opportunity to make a a bold statement. And for some reason, I just felt like the message from Gillette wasn't bold enough. And I think, and this is me, you know, looking at, an ad where, you know, you've got a guy keeping two boys from fighting, you know, it felt very hunky-dory to me, in, in a sense. Uh, it felt as if when you're a P&G, a multinational brand, and you have the money where you can take a risk, like a Nike, so to speak, with a lot of the stuff that it's been doing this year on social media with Colin Kaepernick, what have you. You have an opportunity to just say, you know what, we can take a stand, we can do something in a creative way and show what masculinity can be, but it just felt like a lot of, you know, a lot of hamstrung notions about it. Like, yes, guys should not be, uh, you know, mansplaining women or ogling them across the street, but you shouldn't just have a guy galloping across the street to to be like, hey guys, you shouldn't do that. That's how it came off to me. Um, I don't know. There's no one definition of masculinity, and I think that ad tried a little too hard to define that. And, and you know, it, it, it's weird. And I know listeners are probably going to be like, huh, this doesn't make sense. But literally, like, I'm your listener right now. <laughs> right, 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 right. So my listener would be me. But, you know, I think of the consumer sentiment, especially, you know, men who are, who are reading that and, you know, it, it's weird for us. Like, we don't necessarily want to be told how to be good men or necessarily sh- shown, but, like, we'd love to see more Pharrells in the world who are, who are just out there being and existing and, you know, finding ways to accept that. Um, it, it's It's an ongoing conversation. I've personally just learned so much about you know owning my own vulnerability and owning my own traits that aren't the most quote-unquote most masculine in the world uh and and it's a process you know I, I do think that maybe the ad worked for some but you know I look at what they're doing and I kind of put on the same sort of seesaw as let's say Harry Sh- a Dollar Shave Club which did an ad of its own kind of just like putting itself out there in the world and you have all these people who who are using their shavers you know you you know it, it's technically a man it was made to be a man's brand but you have 
queer and non-binary folks shaving. You have men with barely any hair shaving. You have men of all body types shaving. And, you know, it's just this really well-shot, well-composed thing where you have people, you know, just walking in their bedrooms. And it's like some Broadway thing because they're all, like, circulating around each other. And it's just like, you know, all of these people, you know, they, they have these traits. It doesn't make them one, you know, less of a man than another man. And I think it got the point home across as a, it's not really a small brand anymore because it's owned by Unilever. But just just getting that sort of thing out there instead of saying, oh, you need to be this and you need to do this and you need to uphold these 1920s, 1930s values of, of manhood and fatherhood. Uh, and I think that's, that's where I started having the issue. Yeah, I, I totally hear where you're coming from because it comes down to the execution of the ad. I think the, the sentiment, you know, was right and, and the insight was right, but it's just like it feels a bit like, oh, bad guys, da, da, da. so a bit moralistic. And yeah, and I, and I love that reference of, uh, of Dollar Shave Club because that was like a, like a, a similar, similar uh, world, but told in a more uplifting way. I think what I took from the ads, I was not a hater of the ad. Yeah, me I was, I was impressed. I, I'm not gonna lie. I almost changed it because I was like, "Well, I don't." Yeah, I thought hard about it too, but I was impressed. I was yeah. super impressed. But I think that I was impressed because of what my experience has been in the world, right? Mm-hmm. So, one of the things that really I was taken aback at is it was. It, and, and, and now that I'm saying it, I can see how this is taken the wrong way. But men speaking to men about masculinity and not me as a woman having to tell you how to be a man. And that, to me, was powerful. Because, I mean, even a lot of the, the conversations that we've had on this show, especially talking about sexual harassment, is I am, it's me telling you not to try to grab my ass in the hallway is probably not going to resonate more than another man telling you that that's not cool. And I felt when I saw that, that, yeah, that's exactly what I want to see. I want to see, quite frankly, more men not telling young boys not to cry. Like, stop saying shit. Like, that's why they're crazy. That's why all these men out here, you know, like, shooting, you know, like, mass shooters are men because they just need to cry. You know how many women mass shooters there would be if we if we were not allowed to cry? Like, legit, yeah. when we cry in meetings, it's not because we're weak. It is because we are withholding from the innate reaction of blowing everything the fuck up. And I am crying to save you. Like, you know yeah, what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. And, like, I, I felt like in those moments that it was just really important to see the conversation outside of of a woman's viewpoint it felt like it was outside of a woman's viewpoint of the conversation so for me that was that was really powerful also what was more powerful for me was like one of the guests or or a few of the guests that we had last year was from um this photographer his name is Tariq Carroll and he leads this project called the everyday man project which photographs men of all kinds in their in their glory like what does masculinity look like if you are a gay man what does masculinity look like if you are trans man what does masculinity look like if you are a cisgendered man who just likes to wear maybe quote-unquote traditionally feminine clothing and it doesn't necessarily take away from you being a man but you in your beauty and, and, and your masculinity deserve to be seen just like any other Calvin Klein model, you know? And so for me, having that conversation in 2018 and seeing it come to the forefront in 2019, like, that's important to me. Because I feel like with women, we get away with it. Like, it's okay to be a, a tomboy as, as, a, as a lady and still be seen, and you can still be seen as sexy and you can still be taken relatively seriously and you can still be considered a woman but somehow with men there are like so many strict guidelines that I was like whew I'm so happy you I'm taking off your cool because I'm tired I am tired of dealing of seeing you all deal with the emotional baggage of trying to hide who you are and what you love about yourself so that to me I I looked at it more positively but also not a man I don't consider myself to be masculine and so I'm also on the other side of the fence just looking over 
I'm just being nosy. Yeah. No, I mean, I will say, like, you know, and I I do respect that P&G has the money where they can make a statement like that and make it global, you know, and I think just being able to spread that message and have, you know, just that firepower where you can at least start a conversation for for the mass market is probably more important than than my opinion and i've seen you know i'm starting to see a lot more ads out there that are specifically targeting us and how we you know define ourselves as men so and also starting a conversation right because now it's like no that's not my you can you can look at that commercial and say that's not my perspective on what masculinity or how we should discuss masculinity but you definitely can be like, you know what? There's another story that needs to be told. And now we have more commercials or ads and et cetera about, you know, Jason Rosario is out there. Shout out to him. And, and he speaks specifically to masculinity and being vulnerable as a man. Like, it's a whole new market. I'll be able to find a husband in the next three years, y'all. That's how I feel. <laughs> we're, wor- we're working on it. We're working Thank on you. it. I appreciate y'all. But yeah, I mean, uh, I, I I agree with the uh, uh, I I like the ad as well, and uh, and you, you said it yourself. But just having that conversation that exposes just different perspectives, just even like uh, conversations that you read on Fishbowl or like online. You know, it's like you 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 start in this debate and you have a strong opinion, and then you're kind of humbled by all the perspectives. Okay, there's the woman perspective, there's the Gen Z woman, the Gen Z man, the boomer dude, and it's like. Okay, we all we're all trying to strive for the same thing, and uh, and it just like builds empathy and allows for like better ads after that. I agree. Speaking of fishbowl, what's going on in twenty nineteen at Fishbowl, Mara? Tell us the thing. Oh, uh, so we uh, so a couple of things. We um we looked at uh, the the top topic of twenty nineteen, and this is a great opportunity for uh, holding companies to realize. Uh, what they should work and tell uh, us <laughs> tell me what my view, what my key points should be in 20 in 2020 so top topic work-life balance mm. that was one that came up a lot um and slash burnout um second one mental health um third one interview strategies and fourth uh salary so what's cool is that yes you can discuss transparently about your salary uh, but where I see this, you know, work-life balance and mental health, you know, as I said, we're open to other industries, and these don't um, come up as much. Um, and uh, and so these are opportunities for, for agencies to, to realize, like, if they want talent retention, if they want to make their employees happy and, and complain less, um, you know, working on work-life balance. And I wanted to give a shout-out uh, to Horseman and Bowdoin Force, who recently have been killing it on the sort of uh, employee wellness front. So they, they have rules. So there's no emails after 7 p.m. Shoot, I do that whether or not you want me to. I'm not responding to nothing. <laughs> if the building is not on fire or if it is and my computer is with me, there's nothing for us to discuss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and even if you, you're still working, like I time my emails, I schedule them to arrive the next day so it's yeah. not just annoying for the people. What they do too is that they don't schedule meetings between 12 and 1.30 p.m. or something. Um, so people oh, can have- forcing us for lunch, that's great. Y'all giving us lunch <laughs> breaks, that's amazing. Yeah, right, isn't it amazing? And then, you know, it's like well, lunch breaks or you can also like, you know, run errands or anything, so. So those are cool things. Like if more agencies did that and, and employees felt like they were being cared for and their mental health was being cared for, um, yeah, I think uh, things would be would look good in the industry. Absolutely. What else you guys got going on over there? Um, for 2020 or just 20, 2019? 2019. Yeah, yeah. Just so you guys know, we like, Mara and I had like a good pre-prep session while we were waiting on Bennett. So <laughs> let, me stop, let me stop. You know how I get you know how I get? No. So, like, yeah, there were some really cool things. Yes. You guys were, like, here's the thing, and we talked about this a little bit earlier. I think holding companies, but not just holding companies, leaders, mm-hmm. like decision makers, need to be a lot more creative in how they source their data for their organization. And I think that there are still a lot of people that believe, like, a fishbowl or going to a Twitter or looking at uh, 
uh, op-eds and thought leadership pieces on LinkedIn from your employees that it's a it's a lot of moaning. I think there's still a lot of people that just think it's a it's a bunch of people that go to this one place to go bitch. And it's like, no, sure, we could think about it in a negative source if you want to, or you could think about it as this is the shit nobody else is telling you because they don't want to talk to you because they don't like you enough to tell you the truth. Because there are rules against their Slack channels. There's rules against their Slack channels. <laughs> it's real. And like, you guys have so much raw information that goes back for a few years. It's like, these are like exit interviews, bro. Right. This is literally where your exit interviews are going. You yes. know? Where you do the exit interviews go? Because I've always spilled a, everything into and a <laughs> filing cabinet to be locked that away is trash. and never to be seen again. Yeah. That is that is actually tra- trash. If that is what is what happens, my boss is gonna listen to this and be like, "What the hell?" <laughs> but it is. It's how people feel. Okay, it is literally how people feel. And if you ask people, when's the last time you looked at an exit interview? They may say once, because mm. yeah. they had nothing else to do that day. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So like. You guys are important. You guys are literally doing the good Lord's work. Yeah, and, and also, actually, um, 90% of the, or 89% of the content is question. Kind of like, what do you think of you know, my salary? What should I do? Um, and it's, uh, I think, like 5 or 6% that, uh, that, that say negative. But that's an opportunity for people to address those issues. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, like, there's a post about, like, um, so pitching, like, why is it always so so all over the place? Like, what, like, why, why can't we fix this? And mm-hmm. it's like people can see it. Oh, somebody's moaning about pitches. Well, but it's something you should work on. Or you can see that your process is broken. Yes, and needs to be fixed. Yes, yeah, exactly. And here's what people are complaining, quote unquote, complaining about. Meaning, here are some opportunities for you to improve your process. But, you know, we're just here in a business of innovation, so maybe that doesn't matter. I don't fucking know. I mean, just because it's always been done that way doesn't mean it's been done the right way. And people, people, especially those who have been in the game and probably gone through wars and won clients and lost clients over this stuff, I mean, it probably is just, a, I don't know, a rite of passage for them and should be a rite of passage for any junior, you know, more junior talent to to deal with but you know everything's changing you know brands are going to clients without any pitches nowadays and if that's if that's a thing that happens clearly they're doing something more right than you're doing than you're doing and you need to really start thinking about alternative ways to to really attract business new ways to attract business and it's not it's sometimes people just want to work with you because they like you forget all of this pitching process. Like I actually just like working with you and I'm willing to work through the kinks of making the quality better and skip the whole process. Or I really like the process. Actually, it's really fun. I like to think of pitching like a Tony Braxton video, the you're making me high video. It's literally (laughs) like that. Which by the way, that's what I want my 35th birthday to be like. I want to recreate that video. Whatever. The point is, guys, there's different ways to go about doing the business we've done for over 100 years. Mm. And people are giving you the answers if you just stop thinking about it as moaning. Yeah, just listen. Just listen. Listen. This is what Beyonce said. Listen. (laughs) I'll stop there. I'll stop there. So on the bright side, we just created uh, the Fishbowl Good List, which uh, evaluates all the content that's been created by employees of all agencies. And uh, on Fishbowl, when somebody creates something, you can react to it as uh, it's uplifting content, it's um, smart, it's helpful, or it's funny. And we tallied all the love scores of these agencies, and uh, we have the top four agencies to share who have done good for the ad industry in 2019, and they are most helpful. Publicist Sapient. Smartest, FCB. Most uplifting, Wonderman Thompson. And funniest, VML YNR. Yay, congrats. These are ways to, to, to make people feel like your agency's cool. Invite the cool people to share cool advice. It's like- yeah, well, plug. I'll be on there in January. Uh, we'll talk more about that in our, I guess, our first episode of the year. But 
uh, director of community engagement for WPP coming soon to a fishbowl near you if you work for WPP. Anyway. Will Fishbowl have its own version of Spotify rap? What? Uh, we we wanted to do that. Fish food for thought. Yes. No, for sure. Uh, it was just like resource. It's like, okay, who's going to do it? Right. You got it. This is fine. 2020 is coming right up. Yeah. Start start the decade with some strong content. I'm yeah, here for I mean, it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Bennett, what do you got going on these days? What are your thoughts about 2019? Uh, my thoughts about 2019... Uh, Listen, I, I ended 2018 on a sabbatical that was, you know, emotionally... Three of us did. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's, it's like this. Th- this is a real good company right here. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I really spent so much of this year, uh, you know, reflecting on just my career at this point. I spent so much of it just, you know, just pushing to to feel respected as a creative thinker, as a writer, as somebody who had, you know, thoughts and opinions that were probably valid for, uh, you know, I guess just overall agency discourse. Um, and I, I don't know, like, uh, I'm very, very, very much looking forward to, to 2020. This year has been great. I've gotten to work at a design firm I got to work on my first commercial before before this job and you know now I get to be you know I get to marry my my love of marketing and advertising with uh just you know the opportunity to to tell stories from from a journalistic lens uh you know all for all for creativity really uh there's just been a wealth of conversations that I got to tap into during my time at the drum and, you know, also wealth of conversations that I didn't know, you know, how to fit into when I was an advertising copywriter. And now all those things kind of come to a head. Um, and, you know, shout out to, to Love Malone and, and her team at The Gradient, you know, we're working on a ton of, ton of really awesome content and, trying to you know partner with the with the right people in terms of agencies platforms brands uh in order to make sure that you know we don't have to deal with things like mass layoffs or uh crazy consolidations uh because talent will go to a place that's insightful or uplifting you know or just you know allows them to to essentially bring the best that they have to the table and and actually feel valued for it um so you know it, it's definitely a lot for me to look forward to um you know almost talking in platitudes and not saying oh you know we've got this thing planned or that thing planned but you know just uh do do follow along with with our journey as a platform and you know we have a ton of exciting stuff coming uh and we're cross-industry. I, I, I failed to mention that, like, The Gradient is a platform that allows people to get jobs, but it's not just for advertising and marketing. It's for film and TV. It's for design. It's for the gaming space. So It's for the creative spaces, which I feel like sometimes we don't do enough of merging. Yeah, it, it is very much, uh, you know, the creative industries, and they've evolved so much over the years, and, you know, it, it's a cool thing to, to kind of be in the mix of all of that and to see, you know, where the intersections are. And I think uh, the editorial plan that we have uh, regarding that is, you know, I, I think we're probably, we're hoping to be one of, the, one of the places that people go to for industry news uh, next to your favorite trade publications. So it's definitely a goal of mine and, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, you all can be a part of that. I say, what do we need to do to make that happen? How do we make this happen for you? What do we need to do? Um, let's, let's just, uh, let's get some chats on the books and done meetings about meetings. Yes. There's anything we know. If there's anything we know how to do, it's set up a meeting. (laughs) That is this business. I'm here for it. You know, I think it's funny. I didn't, I guess I didn't think about it when we started, but like, yeah, we were a year ago. Uh, we were all kind of like not working. Yeah. Last year, last year, Kai, we met at the same time. Right. Mm -hmm. And that was when I was at the lowest of my bank account. I might have, I might have left, I quit my job like a week or two after meeting you. 
and then that was probably like a couple it's weeks before. Then two weeks after right, that. Right. Like, <laughs> like it was all in a six-month period. Actually, I think this is a good point because you mentioned burnout was one of the, the topics top of mind at Fishbowl. What, I mean, Bennett, you talked about your experience, but like what's the biggest thing that you learned being unemployed at the end of 2018 coming into 2019 and basically uh, building this new career for yourself that's probably more in line with your your passions more than what you were doing before? Yeah. Uh, the, I, I don't know why, but I think for a lot of people, 2018 was really tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I think I, I hit rock bottom at the end of uh, 2018, even if on the surface on social media, things sounded great. You know, it's like, oh, Mars featured in this and did that. And then there's this news article and everybody's like, wow, you're killing it. And I'm like, wow, but my personal relationships are in the toilet and this is not the life I actually want. And I mean, to be to be transparent, I, you know, like I would, when, when you do many things, when you have a lot of side hustles, when you quote unquote look, I hate that word successful because it's, you know, uh, it's not really that. It's just like you're out there. That means you're paying it in a certain way. And in my case, my personal relationships were, were paying for it. And my husband, um, I, you know, it's like going in bed with my laptop, you know, it's like, uh, he was just, you know, turned on the side and I'm just like giving feedback and just like working all the time. And so, um, I, I was leading two ventures that, that were, uh, becoming something, you know, there was, where are the boss ladies and, uh, secret code, um, a customizable children's book that stars girls as tech heroes. And, um, I decided that maybe that's not really the life I want. You know, being a CEO is so tough. I tasted it. I tasted what it was, and it's such a tough life. Yes, advertising is so tough, but you have a team. You have support. Like, it can be shitty to work on weekends, but you're with other people. But when you start a company and you're a CEO, you're just alone or you're with a co-founder. And big mistake for me um, was not to have had a co-founder for Secret Code, which made which really burned me out. I still have PTSD from it, even if it's an amazing project and people love it. As for where are the boss ladies, I had started thinking like, oh, is this a business? Like, am I going to start making it into like a, you know, is it going to be a sort of 3% type of model or is it going to be a, uh, what's the the, the bid? The, oh my gosh, free the bid. Yeah, or like a free, free the bid kind of model. It's just like, is this what I'm meant to do? And, um, and then I realized, you know, with humility, like, I like being in an office. I like having a boss. Like, I like, I like helping and mentoring people, but I need, I need my own coach, you know? And, and at the end of 2018, I was like, I'm going to find a job. I was thinking of going back in advertising as well. I had, uh, after that two-year break, I, I had amazing relationships with people who, who had, you know, with cool opportunities. And then... I also had at the back of my mind, why don't I switch it up and mm-hmm. um, and discover maybe something else and go brand side? And I was developing a relationship with the Fishbowl team, thanks to Where Are the Boss Ladies, which was launched thanks to Fishbowl. Um, and I really loved the founders. They were amazing, just amazing people um, that I, I never had quite met t- that type of leadership. Really empathetic, sensitive guys. Um, you know, you who would say, have you ever done user interviews before? Because mm-hmm. we were supposed to do user interviews. And then and they said, sorry if I don't know. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's like, it makes the whole difference. And that's the reflection of our relationship. It's like somebody who's like, sorry if I don't know. Like that could have taken such a wrong turn if they hadn't said, sorry if I don't know. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was like, I can see myself working with these people. And so I asked them at the end of the year, hey, are you are you looking for somebody like me? Like, would you consider having me part of your team? And they said, uh, not really, <laughs> but let's brainstorm. And they mm-hmm. kept an open mind. And uh, you know, a few months later, I joined the team uh, as brand and community director, which is a role I kind of invented. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and uh, what it does to, is exactly all the skills that I love. It's a mix of creative direction, but also other things. It's like entrepreneurial. There's no brief that comes to your desk. It's like you make up the briefs when you, when you see an issue, which is what we do in advertising, but with more freedom. 
And I am so happy. Um, and I say this, like, it's, it's the first time in, in 14 years I started, since I started working that I say I'm happy. And uh, I just, I feel like I found it finally... It's like, it, it's almost, I felt like closeted all these years in advertising, mm -hmm. even if I was doing, doing a decent job, it wasn't me really. Like I, 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 I did, I felt I was pretending to be somebody and then now I'm, I'm brand sign. I, I love it because you know, I don't care. I don't care about doing like the most awarded thing in the world. That's just who I am. Like, mm -hmm. I just care about doing things that people genuinely look forward to. So that's where I find fulfillment. It's like helping the ad industry with their careers and making the industry better, um, all the while having a taste of what it's like to work for Emside. Definitely. I'd say the same thing. I think my biggest thing was actually um, getting in touch with what my passions were. Because I tell people all the time, like, I was never able to, to, to identify what my... I just knew that I liked working with people. Like, take a step back. I will be the first person to say I don't like people. I don't like the, the I don't like the fuckery in humanity. Like I hate mean people. I hate when people try to make other people feel like shit. Like I just want to be a mean person superhero, right? But what I've always enjoyed in my job coming from the perspective of a project manager and as a producer is giving people platform to be their best. How do I provide the best space, the best environment, the best tools and resources to you so that whatever the hell it is that you need to do to be great, that you can go ahead and be great. And I'd never been able to articulate that, but I've always known like that's what made me special. That's what made the people that, because everybody don't like working with Kai. But the majority of people that I've worked with will say that they've enjoyed working with me. And that was always the thing that I just want to accommodate space for you to be great. Like, I'll say it to people all the time, go be great. And I genuinely mean that. And I felt like it took the five months that I took off of work after working at that horrible place to really evaluate, okay, if I could come back to this industry, knowing everything I know about it, how difficult it, how difficult it can be to find success and to find pleasure in getting up at the ass crack of dawn to go, you know, fill out spreadsheets. These are the things that I would need to do. And one of them was to be that person, to be the person for, to advocate for culture and to ensure that the environment and the tone and the nuance of the people and the space provided safety and comfort, not necessarily in a coddling way, but in a productive way for other people to be great. And it was really interesting for me since the end of 2018 and coming clearly now to the end of 2019 to see all of this manifest. Like I, one of the things I showed somebody the other day is I wrote a job description out for myself like November of last year at the height of like peak I'm broke depression. Oh my God, I don't have a job. I can't go to happy hour. People are going to ask me what I do and they're going to think I'm a deadbeat. <laughs> you know, like because these are the things that go through your mind and I wrote down this job where I was like, I don't know who to report to, but I want to be the person that people go to to identify whether or not the culture is authentic and to advocate for people within the mid-level and to ensure that a lot of the priorities are being communicated from the ground up in a very similar way that priorities are communicated from the top down. And quite frankly, like maybe not magically, but I don't know some about the universe, some about, you know, you ask, you have not because you ask not. All of these things kind of conjured together that I'm in the role that I'm in now. So I'm happy we're all getting paychecks. And also doing things that we're, fulfill We're us. in a place that like, we're being fulfilled. All right, let's talk about a couple more things that happened this year. So one of my predictions for 2019, uh, if you listen to the last episode uh, from Mixed Company for 2018, I said I predicted that there was going to be some backlash for me too. I felt that the that the men's that the men's were not going to go away silently, and your girl was right, as she usually is about some shit like this. They did not. I mean, you know what? If I'm honest with myself, if it were me, I probably wouldn't go away si silently too. Not after having all that power, and not after having all that influence, 
And damn sure not after having all that money, because I'm sure nobody's pension, if they even got it, pension or 401k is able to kick in yet. And so one of the things that we saw was like Ralph Watson came back, suing everybody and they mama. And Joe Alexander. <laughs> Andrew Al- and yeah, Joe Alexander came back. He wanted to, he, he had some things to say. Don't forget Ted Royer. Let's not forget Ted. It's a lot. So people came back to, what did they come back for? Because like, I don't, what do you get after this? What do you get from suing everybody and their mother? Redemption. Is it redemption? What does that look like? Money is, but like to me, money runs out. Like that's finite. So I'm like, to me, that's not even enough. You can go do a whole other business. It's redemption and legacy. Like, look at how this industry has been exact. Like, it it legitimately is. But, you know, this industry, you know, in all the textbooks that all the kids get, you know, it's based off the backs of a ton of white guys and a ton more white guys who won a ton of Lions and a ton of other white guys who won, you know, Cleos and, you know, they feel invincible because mm. those are the shoulders that they've stood on over the years. Mm. Uh, but I got to cover a ton of this shit last year. I know year. you did. You were the guy. Ooh. Uh, shout out to Patrick Coffey. That was a real guy. I was competing <laughs> against him for, for a ton of it. Um, but, nah, it was, it's insane to think about Ralph Watson, you know, him and just – coming out saying, you know, let's let's go after Diet Madison Avenue. And I think if there is one story that I feel most uh, tied to and impacted by during my time at the drum, it is Diet Madison Avenue. Uh, those are smart professionals who, you know, special shout out to them because they trusted me with a lot of information and I did my best to, to make sure that whatever information we put out there was as truthful as possible. And, you know, they're, they're in the middle of a couple of lawsuits. Shout shout out to Time's Up who happened to be my next door neighbors work wise. We both work in the same building. Um, They are putting in, you know, the hard work and addressed a ton of stuff that, that just needed to be said. And, probably made a ton of of people especially women especially those who are in the most vulnerable point of their careers to feel safe um and you know these lawsuits are happening meanwhile ted royer gets to show up at award shows unchecked as a surprise and that's not fair to to advertising students and for joe alexander to to come out and say you know, I made the guy called Gecko, so you guys shouldn't be coming after me. Like that—that's—that's that's just hubris, right there. Yo, this that, whole that's, industry is a joke. It like <laughs> it's just a whole it, bunch of freaking jokes. It, it is really what? nothing but hubris, and that's a nice you know, word for it. I call it a joke. <laughs> I mean, it—it it really is a joke, but you know, it's also kind of serious because mm-hmm. a Wendy Clark mm-hmm. is able to say you know what, this guy has done so much for our industry, I'm going to put him on a pitch. But you know what it is? I, th- I think what was most bold about a diet Madison Avenue is that it was literally the first time that powerful, powerful people were held accountable. I will say I was not in any of these rooms I cannot confirm or deny anything. But what I do know is that people were called to task to answer the same way I would have to be, like the same way we were, have all been held accountable, whether or not we have felt we were in the wrong in the past. Like we've all been held accountable at some point where our jobs were on the line in a way that you, we've always looked at these powerful executives in these super high paying seats on their amazing vacations and like no one asks no one challenges you your your integrity has never been challenged your 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 uh intellect has never been challenged and for me like it was really important and I think that was like at the midpoint of our our podcast career so far to finally see somebody being taken to task in a way that I've been taken to task before. And maybe not in the most serious way, because your girl has never touched anybody and made anybody feel 
you know, suggestively uncomfortable, but my job is always on the line every time I, every time I have opened my mouth, you know? And so that, I think that was important to see. And I think all of these men, like, you know, the, the mighty fall hard. Like that's literally just what it is. And if you don't, it just goes to show like you're not as strong as you probably thought you were. You felt invincible. Cool. What do you do when that invincibility is challenged? I probably could do it right now because I do that every day. You know, as a woman being of color, just in general, like everybody questions everything that comes out of my out of my mouth regardless. So I live that life. You now have to figure out how to backtrack 20 years in the industry. How do you speak for all of your actions? You've never had to watch every step you took until 20 18, 2019, 2017, 2018, 2019. The first time you've ever had to watch your step. Imagine how how uh, earth shattering that is for somebody that doesn't give a fuck where their steps land. I mean, I'm just, I mean, I, I'm just here for the social discourse. That's it. It was, it was, it was really important for I think everyone to see that because I think it's shifted how people view leadership and what true leadership looks like and the difference between a tyrant and a leader. Because at least if you're a leader, more people will come to your defense. If you're a leader, more people will identify with you. If you're a tyrant, the only people that fuck with you are the people that benefited from your, ty your tyranny. And it's usually not that many people because you like to hold the power for yourself. That's a really shady position for you to be in, but sorry, not sorry. But there were some good things that happened as a result of of Me Too, right? So one of the things um, that we had was the onset of a We Are Rosie as a consultancy. We also have Have Her Back with Carolyn Detman um, over at IPG. Like people are out here recreating what the business structure actually looks like. And there's a, a, another organization, Creative Equals, that I've actually um, just, just recently been introduced to where there are people actually now being put into powerful positions to benefit people women more so who did not have opportunities to succeed in this business before that's a that's a headline go ahead and it use kind that of is a reconstruction era of sorts and you know i think about you and your career path over these past couple of years between making uh, the boss lady database you know that was kind of in that same time period yeah. Uh, and even joining Fishbowl, which, you know, a lot of, you think about a lot of these tip-offs and sources, you know, they they came from, you know, private discussions. They came, I, I don't know if, you know, any of them came from a Fishbowl, but they probably came from a Slack channel. They probably came from, you know, the, these private forums that, that felt like this is safe enough for me to tell my story. And, you know, I'm sure that's given you you know, maybe just a little bit more, you know, fire and purpose to, I mean, not necessarily to be good at your job, but, like, to understand that, like, this isn't just, you know, it's just advertising, like, a lot of us like to say, like, you I mean, these are people's livelihoods. We do impact culture, and we do impact society with, you know, what we do and, and what we put out in the world. Ooh. This just reminded me, and this was just a few minutes ago, Away's CEO oh, just got yes, dismissed. And, you know, I mean, that was a huge, huge story on The Verge last week, uh, just about the, the toxic culture of probably one of the most popular direct-to-consumer brands. And, you know, it was two women who were in charge of that company. And it puts a little bit, or a lot more pressure on women who have probably bought into things like you know, lean in where you kind of have to act like the boys. You have to be an to asshole to be a leader. Yeah. Right, to, to, yeah. to be up top. Um, and it's really going to be interesting how that plays out, how a situation like that plays out over the next few years because, you know, you are seeing an influx of female founders, an influx of founders of color. And if you can call out somebody for like a travel slash luggage brand, like everybody can everybody get the smoke. Everybody can catch these hands. Everybody can catch it, and um, I don't, I don't know. Like it's just adding to a a larger talent discussion that you know we kind of are in the midst of at the gradient, and I'm sure you know a lot of the discussions are probably taking place 
you know, on, on forums like Fishbowl. And it, it's, uh, it, it's fascinating for somebody who, you know, I'm not directly tied to it anymore, but I'm so fully invested. You know, I want media to, to be stronger than ever. I want advertising and marketing to be strong. You know, our competition, you know, our competition is almost as shitty as us. Because Ogilvy may have had that thing with ICE, but there was, you know, there was a, cons- a management consultancy saying whether or not to feed people. Like, you know, and, and those are the people pulling in, those are the companies pulling in the droga fives of the world, pulling in the Wong duties of the world. So who are, you know, these indie darlings that define this, this last decade? Who are they going to bed with? Because, you know, somebody's going to be backing them and it might not be the, you know, most pleasant tool in the shed. Yeah, it definitely would. Other things that happened in 2019, though. So for those of us, <laughs> I was like pleased with myself to say that I went to Cannes. For those of us that I went to Cannes, you may or may not know that there was a beach dedicated to the history of Inkwell Beach, which uh, can be founded in uh, Martha's Vineyard. Um, so if you know anything about Inkwell, it was basically the only beach where black people and people of color could go to um, for generations because of institutionalized racism, slavery, et cetera. Um, but it is now one of the more prominent beaches in uh, Martha's Vineyard area because it is home to, or summer home, <laughs> to very wealthy um legacy uh, African-American. Um, and just the history of growing from nothing to something is inspiring, and therefore that legacy had brought to Cannes uh, this past July, um, thanks to the amazing Adrian C. Smith, uh, who also launched her, this was the second year of her program, the Cannes Can Diversity Collective. Um, another thing that happened is most recent, um, and then if I'm missing something, guys, let me know, but for a long time, Wendy's has held, like, the Twitter conversation, um, heavyweight belt champion of the world, whatever, and because Wendy's social media is amazing, like, like, it's, it's like my friend is tweeting from, from their social media or from their Twitter account, and... I'll give you an example. This past week, I was at a conference where all of marketers and myself, all we can talk about is brave about how amazing social media is and how they're at the forefront, how to connect with the audience culturally. And then literally the next day, Netflix comes out here talking their shit about <laughs> name something you can say as a, what is it, a brand or a social media account manager, but you could also say during sex. And... Exactly. And I was like, you know, it's been so long since we've been able to talk about sex in a comfortable way in this building, in this, in this business. And here it was, and I was on the floor dying. And what was even better about it is that the people that were sharing it with me weren't even only industry people. These are like my friends that are like working education and like working banks and shit. They're like, have you seen this? Girl, yes, I did. And I am in the kudos to Netflix. I feel like we need more of that. I think like we, I think we need more fun and we need more uh, inter-brand engagement. Like I want to see brands interact with each other more. I didn't know that I needed that until maybe actually over the summer when Adweek posted like the, the lunchroom of the ads. I think that was from Kimiko. And the brand started to actually respond there was the the cafeteria mm-hmm. meme where you had all these celebrities all paired with each other. You had to choose which table you want to sit on. So Adweek and Kamiko McCoy, uh, they decided, you know, let's put all these brands together and see, you know, which, which table would you sit at? And just about all our favorite brands decided to jump into that conversation. And that was, that was really it good. It was amazing. And I feel like there's an, there's an appetite for that. Because if we're talking about we keep saying that we want our brands to engage with us like our best friend would, then we probably want the brands to engage with each other because you need to maybe not personify yourself, but honestly, people like to see it. So whatever the hell you've been doing these last couple of times, keep doing that. And shout out to, to, to Netflix for, for, for making the adult conversation fun and safe again. 
So, yeah. So, we can close up. I know we've been out here running our mouths, and my mouth is getting dry because I had a beer. Um, so, with that being said, thank you guys for being part of our last episode of the decade, a.k.a. the last episode of the year, before the roaring, mindful 20s. Um, and, of course, as you guys know, you can find us on all the social media platforms, and you can find us on all of the... Um, podcast platforms shout out uh, our friends over at Spotify um, iTunes Stitcher and SoundCloud and keep in touch with us over the break enjoy your holidays no matter what you celebrate whether you celebrate or not all of you get to take some time off and if not stay the fuck warm it's cold out there 